Say It Skillfully is about being who you really are and saying what you think needs to be said, even at work. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. Join Molly Chang today as together we break the silence and learn how to be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in life. Hello, Molly here. Welcome to Say It Skillfully, helping you find the words to create shared reality in a way that's true to yourself. My guest today is friend and fellow tennis enthusiast, Jeff Saviano. Jeff wears many hats. His day job is tax guru as the EY Global Tax Innovation Leader. He's also part of the firm's global innovation leadership team. Their solutions focus on advanced technologies, such as artificial intelligence, blockchain, and data science. Jeff collaborates with MIT. A current innovation called PathCheck is helping us get through this COVID crisis. He also hosts an awesome podcast called Better Innovation, talking with inspiring technology and thought leaders on innovation in today's digital world. Jeff also has a TEDx talk on how we fight climate change with better taxation and spoke at the World Economic Forum in Davos last year. Wow. Jeff, I'm delighted to welcome you to say it skillfully. Oh, Molly, it's such an honor to be on the show today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. I think we have a special day for someone's mother today. Do we want to do a shout out? We do, yes. We have to start with that August 18th when we saw that we set it up for today. It's my mother Nancy's birthday, and uh, happy birthday, Mom. I'll call you after the show. Uh, thank you, Molly. <laughs> it's always good to get a reminder on Mom's birthday. We love our moms and our dads. Shout out to mine, too, who are listening. Great supporters. So, Jeff, I especially appreciate how you're collaborating across sectors, public, private, citizen, to solve the world's big problems, a passion I also share. And I love almost even more when people navigate their way to do what they love, as you've done. Now, I think your bio might sound a little bit glamorous. You might be guilty of that. We know that our journeys in life are hardly that. So um, I appreciate greatly to help listeners have a better sense of you. Would you please share with them twists, turns, ups and downs that have shaped who you are and, and what you do? I'd be happy to, Molly, and I'm sure it's all of the tax focus. Is the glamour? Is that what you meant by glamorous? Was all, yes, of, the, yes. all of the tax focus? Totally. Uh, I'm not quite sure that everybody in the audience uh, would make the connection uh, of glamour uh, and tax, but I do love it, and it's been, it has been such a wonderful ride. Maybe to go, uh, to go back in time a bit, just uh, a bit about my story, uh, how I got started. I'm from the Boston uh, the Boston area, and Molly, uh, you're right, we share a passion, uh, a passion for tennis, and it, it, it's one of my very, very good friends, um, uh, Ken, who is also a friend of yours that brought us together, so really appreciate that, and it was such a big part of my upbringing that it's hard, it's hard to ignore it. I look back at, um, it's really all that, that I wanted to do as a kid. I caught the bug. I caught it very very early uh, at a young age, I, I don't think a day went by from maybe 12 to 18 or so when uh, I didn't play. And so it was a big, a big part of my life. Really learned a lot from, from the game. This is, uh, as Molly, I'm sure you can appreciate, there's nothing like what you learn from teams, of course, being part of team sports, but there's also nothing like being the one out there alone 
uh, down a set and a break and not quite sure how you're going to figure out. Uh, you've already been through plans uh, A, B, and C. And you got to figure out what's uh, what's plan D to get me out of this this pickle. So I really learned a lot from the game, and it's uh, it's been still is a big part of my life. It's how I chose my college. I was fortunate enough to to go to college and play tennis at Iona uh, in New Rochelle, New York, and was just a wonderful experience that um, that really has shaped me. And, and as I look back, uh, I would not have been able to attend a private school, I think, without the game and certainly wouldn't have even heard of Iona and found that. And, and so I look at uh, the path that I've been on and those early days, um, uh, it really has been influenced by a sport. And there's been so much that I've, uh, I've really taken from that. And uh, I give my mother, uh, it's appropriate on her birthday, give her all the credit for introducing me to this great sport. And she was a high school coach, Molly, a great coach uh, up uh, in the Boston area and uh, saw her passion for the game. And, and uh, that's what ultimately uh, I go way back. That's, that's how I got started. So that, that kind of takes me up through, through college, Molly. Maybe I pause there and that's, um, uh, again, it has been a big part of my life. I, I just want to chime in because I learned tennis later in life, so I don't have the natural, beautiful strokes that I know you do. But I will tell you that I told my coach, it helped me, uh, it really helped me learn a lot about life. And the deal is, if you're down a set and you're losing it yourself, you could. the question I said was, if you want to, you can just hand this racket to the opponent across the net and just get out of here. Because I had, you have to get in good relationship with yourself. You have to overcome yourself. And that was the hardest thing for me as a young person. And it's very germane to the say it skillfully because it is about being grounded in ourselves and what's going on for us before we can then really be in a relationship with other people. So Jeff, I totally, I totally relate to you. Well, if you saw my backhand volley, it wouldn't be apparent that I've been playing for 40 years. <laughs> let me just, uh, let me just say that, that we're all very much a work in process and still, uh, still working on, on stuff in my own game. And, uh, and so I got out of college, Molly, and uh, at some point during, during college really wanted to be a lawyer and made that decision and went right on, uh, right on to law school uh, at Syracuse University in New York, still played and taught, and, and, uh, but fell in love with the law and always had a sense that it would combine uh, undergraduate focus in accounting and uh, in law school uh, fell into tax and and found a new a new passion that led me all the way to uh, just last week, Molly. Twenty eight years ago, last week I started at uh, EY. It used to be called Ernst and Young. Now EY started there back in August tenth uh, of nineteen ninety two, and and uh, amazing that I'm um, uh, still here. It's such a great firm, and and so many opportunities professionally uh, have centered on on really all that I've done uh, through EY. But uh, that ride from the tennis life to, to college and law school and ultimately uh, ultimately found this, uh, as crazy as it may sound, passion for attacks and, and uh, how that still plays through today. I love that. And for folks who are listening, especially the um, up-and-coming generation, 28 years, this is unfathomable. And I just want to shout out to you to stick it out. And I think that there's a real opportunity to grow and to continue to grow. Obviously you've liked it or you would have left. Um, 
before we get into some of the things, cool things you've gotten into, we did talk a bit about perhaps an unexpected uh, struggle that folks may not know about. Um, and of course, you've done an actual TED talk, which is not a minor thing, but perhaps share a little bit about that. I'd love to, yeah, to go back. And so uh, in my early days at uh, at EY, and I had always struggled as a kid. I had a speech impediment and, and had always struggled, I think, and perhaps this is something that, that some of the audience can relate to, that, that public speaking is not on uh, the high, high on the list of, of favorite things for many people in the world. Uh, but for me, it was especially daunting. And I go back, I think a lot of it uh, had to do with some of the, the real struggles that I had as a kid. And, and so it was always really had a, uh, just such a fear of it. And so here I am, I started EY and I'm a few years in and there was a major piece of legislation. I have my focus early in my career, really the first 20 years was on state, state taxes. And, and so it was the area that I uh, decided to focus on professionally. And, and as part of that, uh, you know, being in Massachusetts, there was a major legislative uh, event and, and we had a big conference of a few hundred people including the commissioner of revenue was actually going to speak at our conference. It was uh, in our little tax world. That was a, it was a big deal. And my boss thought it was a good idea to, to have me MC and speak at the, at the event, which was, uh, which was not a great idea because I was horrible. I did it. I was scared to death. I was, I was, uh, I was not good. And uh, he, he uh, found me after and said as much and, uh, but also give him, so much credit uh, for finding me a coach and believing in me and that really set me down a path of, uh, of learning and studying uh, public speaking and, and how to get better. And I'm still very much a work in process and still see coaches here and there, but it has been a real struggle of mine. And it's, it's so apparent to me, Molly, and that's what I what really drew me to, to this podcast and to this show today and all your great work is as the name, uh, as the name connotes saying it skillfully, the importance of, um, of being able to express yourself uh, orally and, and how important that is and um, to do it verbally. And, and it's something that was a huge gap of mine. And um, I can, I can talk a bit about where we went from that day, but I'll still remember what it was like coming off that stage and, and it was, uh, that was a really tough feeling. Go, go, you know, the stuttering thing you talked about, go there. You got, you're in, the, you're in this moment. I can imagine you're like, this is not going well, and you finish. And what was that like? Well, I knew that it was, um, uh, I knew that it was a problem, but I also uh, was guided. Uh, my dad had similar struggle, and he, he had a worse than I did, and and saw uh, how he overcame it and, and um, actually pursued a life and a career in sales and has done incredibly well um, uh, given where he started. And, and uh, he, he had a more difficult, uh, more difficult time than I did. So I had a role model there right in, the, in uh, my own family that I could look to. And, and so that did help me a lot. And I did feel as though that I got the encouragement uh, from my boss and, I saw a coach and she, uh, her name was Ellen and she started work with me and she reinforced it said, yep, we've got, we've got some work to do here, kid, but you should also, I'll never forget Molly. She also said that you've chosen a field where let's just say that, you know, tax and accounting that you don't have the world's greatest speakers came out of that discipline. So it's not like, you know, you've got to be, 
incredibly, incredibly good to, um, to, to, to be okay in the field. And so, um, I worked with her and, and it was, it was a really interesting journey, uh, from that point. That's fabulous. That is outstanding. So let's just switch gears a bit. So path check, and we talk about innovation. We'll get to the podcast in a second, but share with the audience how, how this whole thing happened and, and what it is, because it's really inspiring. Yeah. For you making such a- yeah, I'd love to. And maybe just, if, it, uh, if I could, Molly, just one other quick story as part of, the, as part of that struggle that um, uh, as I was working with that coach, that, that she, and, and maybe this resonates with, um, that I suspect there's a few people in your large audience that don't love public speaking. Like that's just a hunch. <laughs> I'll bet that, uh, that, that there's a lot of people that have struggled with it. And um, yeah, I'll never forget that, that the feedback and the path that she led me on um, was that the way to overcome this is that you have to give a hundred speeches. And that was the goal. And uh, do you remember those little micro cassette recorders, Molly? You remember those? Uh, I do those actually. Recorders. <laughs> Right. Everything now is digi- everything now is digital. So you know, I'm, I'm aging myself, but but um, that was the feedback was go and give a hundred speeches. And uh, so it took a few years to do that. But every chamber of commerce, every uh, every opportunity to give a speech uh, that was connected to what I did, uh, I gave one, and I would record myself, and I would mail them to her for a while and get feedback. And the first five were horrible. But, um, you know, sure enough, number 97 through 100 were much better than the first five. And that was a, a key lesson for me is that it can be overcome. And that's and I just that advice of giving 100. If you want to get better at public speaking, give 100 speeches and get feedback from somebody that you really trust. And it's that repetition uh, that takes a lot of the fear out of it. So uh, I pass that along, Molly, and that perhaps that um, that can help some in the audience today. For sure. Thanks. Thank you, Jeff, for the audience. Thank you for me, because it's something I really need to work on too. So I, it's a little daunting to think about a hundred, but I'm going to try to, I'm going to do that. I'm going to put that <laughs> on my list for sure. So let's talk about this, this cool innovation story. Yeah. So the, um, uh, path check, uh, and we, um, uh, maybe just to go back a bit, that uh, uh, there was a point in my career, I spent the first 20 years or so very much focused on serving clients in the tax area and, and then moved into some leader roles. I was really fortunate and humbled to lead great teams uh, at EY. And uh, at some point along the way, caught the innovation bug. And, and uh, I did that around, uh, there was another key event uh, back in 2010, Molly, you remember the Affordable Care Act. Mm-hmm. Uh, passed in President Obama's first term. It was March of 2010, they passed this universal health care law, and it wasn't going to be effective for a few years. And I was asked to try to build teams around that, and and so did that. And it was that point really fell in love with and caught another bug for innovation and growth. And and that was the really a big step in the journey towards um uh, towards coming out of that and and spending more time in my career ultimately now it's all it's a hundred percent of my of my focus which really led to uh, some of the work we do with with uh, uh, universities like MIT and this particular story um, that you're referencing called Path Check which was an entity uh, 
that was born out of MIT at the early stages of the pandemic. How, you know, for folks in these companies, I think, uh, can you share a little bit how you navigated your way from maybe, you know, more tax oriented to this innovation? Was that something you just did it? Uh, did you ask permission? Did, how does, you know, I think for folks in companies, how do you create the, these dream roles? Because essentially mm-hmm. that's what you've done. Well, I give my boss all the credit in the world. Kate, she, she had a vision, you know, back, it wasn't, wasn't shortly after uh, as we were dealing with the Affordable Care Act that, that there was something about this innovation thing and at the time, and this goes back eight plus years, that there were few, if anybody, in innovation roles at big professional service firms, even even in corporate America. Now it's hard to find a company that doesn't have an innovation leader. But back, back then, it was very rare. She had the foresight. It was her vision. I'll never forget. We were at a restaurant in New York City, and, and she said, why don't you take 10% of your time and focus on this innovation thing? See what it means. See what it can mean for us, and how can we how can we just better serve our clients if we adopt this innovation mindset? And that's really how it began. And 10% turned into 20%, turns into a part-time formal role. And, uh, and then ultimately, uh, ultimately uh, made the decision to, to really go all in uh, about three years ago. And, and um, at the time drew up a business case for what would it mean to have somebody full-time in a role like this? And, and worked with the leadership to, uh, to demonstrate that it was the right thing to do for our firm. And everything we do is, is governed by what's the right thing for our people and the right thing for our clients. And we're as a client service organization, and we felt that, that we really needed that focus. We needed a, a full-time focus uh, on innovation. And, um, and so there's lots that we do around that, lots that we do to try to look around the corner, Molly, at what, what may be coming next. What are the trends and, and opportunities that we think um, that could disrupt all that we do in tax and professional services and, and try to stay ahead of the curve? Yeah, it's easy to say. It's not so easy to do. And I appreciate how you've put things in action, Jeff, because I think that's rubber meets road. Um, and this past, and I know I'm a little concerned. I want to talk about the podcast too, but just for our listeners to give a, a quick overview on what it does um, and if they want to find more information. Path check. Path check is uh, sure. And uh, back in March of this year, so right, right uh, as we were all locking down in quarantines with the pandemic, uh, there was there was a team uh, at MIT. Um, uh, led by Professor, Professor Ramesh, Ramesh Raskar, had a vision, a vision for uh, a digital contact tracing solution to help fight the spread of COVID-19. And I'm sure many or most in the listening audience, Molly, will know, know what digital contact tracing is now. I bet you didn't know, you know, back in February, March-ish, but now, now it's hard, to, uh, it's hard to watch the news and, and read the papers without hearing stories about it. And it's how the connections are, um, how the connections are, are tracked and the remediation of, of knowing who has been in contact with somebody who has been um, uh, diagnosed uh, with the virus. And so what we've learned and, and what came out of uh, this MIT lab that came out of the media lab was 
that there is a digital contact uh, tracing solution, that it's, a, it's a, a problem that technology can help solve. And so we, and um, back to what I love about uh, working for EY is that we, we got winds of, of this need in the earliest days, the first week or two of this, of this idea of being formed, uh, we have a formal research collaboration with Professor Sandy Pentland and his uh, Connection Science Lab at MIT. We learn so much from Sandy and from his team. As part of that relationship, we got the call from somebody connected to that uh, who, who said that, um, that this team could use some help and what could EY do? Well, uh, three plus months later, 7,000 hours of time and, and dozens and dozens of people, we went, uh, we went all in supporting uh, the development of the technology and rolling it out to governments around the world. And so uh, it's, a, it's a huge part of the fight of, of the spread of this virus, how you can use digital technologies like contact tracing to do that. And we were really honored and thrilled to be part of Ramesh's team and uh, called PathCheck that's, that's still operational and doing great things in the world. And um, I was so proud of my firm I'll never forget going to leadership and they just said, do it, support them, um, just keep going and uh, just do what needed. It's the right thing to do. And we did. And uh, we were so proud to do that. I love it. I love, I love, I love. There's a lot of tough stuff going out in the world. And I appreciate the chance to highlight um, how we can be better together um, and use technology um, to help our lives. Um, the, pod, the innovation podcast, so I listened to a bunch. It's so fun that you've got these people coming on and I guess, you know, just share a little bit about what you've gotten out of it, you know, how you may have evolved your thinking about innovation from mm. hosting so many great folks on the show. Yeah, sure. We'd love to maybe just a bit on how we got started that uh, we formed our innovation team based in Cambridge and it's one of the top three innovation ecosystems in the world. And it was, it was probably one of the, the best pieces of advice uh, Molly, that I got was uh, to lead through ecosystems and get out of the out of the walls of your organization and build relationships. Learn from the best in the world, uh, and those relationships really matter. All that we do, a lot of what we do, is problem solve. And and I worry sometimes that uh, if your teams and your connections are small, that you can you can just be living in an echo chamber in a little cocoon. Uh, and not be as effective in solving problems. And it is, it's still, I think, amongst the best advice that I got in pivoting to a career in innovation is the relationships matter and those ties to others in the world who can help you when you're facing, you know, 100 times a day um, issues and problems of how to advance uh, and find and discover and advance solutions. So as, as part of that, you're back uh, three plus years ago now, um, I'm a, podcast lover and I listen to podcasts all the time and, and started to poke around a bit and noticed that we really only had one as a firm. It's called Better Finance. It's still, um, it's still run today. It's a fabulous podcast. And so we decided that there was a gap there. Nobody we could find really had an innovation podcast focus on the business community, not just in in our firm, but in professional service firms, and very few, if anybody in the world, had a podcast like that. So we decided, we decided to launch it. And we did it, admittedly, for selfish reasons, that we wanted to get close to the best in the world 
who could help us along our innovation journey. The thought leaders, the technologists, the academics, the politicians. We found that the great EY name and uh, the fact that there really weren't many innovation podcasts focused on these business, um, especially we focus on a lot of things, but um, coming from EY, there's a strong business focus. And uh, we, we saw there was a gap there and decided to launch the podcast. So uh, that's a bit about how we got started, Molly. I like that. And I think you're right now. It seems like, well, duh, everyone has this. But being <laughs> tip of spear out in front is, um, is exciting. Um, so I am curious because you've talked to such a wide range of folks, and I just got few, uh, through a few of them. I'm just wondering any, you know, tidbits that were real ahas for you that you might share with listeners about innovation? Yeah, but now with, I uh, was just looking the other day, we've had about 58 or so interviews and episodes of the podcast. We're just about ready to close down season three, and, and it was a long season. We had a special, uh, a special bonus on COVID-19 and crisis innovation. One of the areas that we really hadn't explored much was how do you innovate in a crisis? And, and you know, for obvious reasons, that's, that's of uh, extreme importance today. So, uh, and, and we also just recently had an opportunity to go through the past episodes, and there's definitely some, some threads there. We have um, a few um, uh, individuals from government, uh, including uh, Andy Card, who is the Secretary of Transportation and the longest-serving White House Chief of Staff under, uh, under, under George W. Bush, uh, to Micah Tillman, who was a speechwriter for uh, Secretaries of State Clinton and, uh, and Kerry. Uh, we've been really lucky to have discussions and have had on the show um, innovation theorists, um, great innovation gurus who, who have um, models for how to innovate and um, leaders like Alex Osterwalder, who's the leading authority on business models, or Steve Blank. Steve Blank is the godfather of startups, and uh, we, we spent a half a day with Steve. He came into our, into our office. Um, I was also lucky to spend the day with uh, Steve Sasson, who invented the digital camera. And what, a, what an incredible story that was. Uh, and that's, that's one of my favorite episodes of, of what it was like at Kodak as a, a newly minted um, um, newly minted graduate uh, uh, of university to join join Kodak and have this idea for a digital camera and to build it there and and the trials and tribulations of uh, of what that was like was just a he's a great storyteller and uh, he was just incredible so uh, I'm so glad that we did it and now we feel like it's really shifted to this is our contribution Molly to the innovation community is that. I think that it fills a gap, and and that's uh, uh, if we can help tell the story of the, the the great innovators and technologists and others in the world. If we can help tell that story, uh, much like how you're doing, Molly, uh, it's something that I get great satisfaction from. It's really a humbling opportunity to do that. I love it. I love it. Okay, we could keep talking, but I'm going to go to my uh, second favorite part of the show uh, when I hear all of that you're sharing, and that is your say it skillfully challenge for me. So there must be some tough conversation or situation I might lend a hand in, Jeff. Well, that's a, um, I was really uh, excited when you asked me that question. And I think it's, um, you know, I go back to, to 
you know, what we're facing now and, and, um, and maybe this is reflective in my own career that, that um, I'm a tax lawyer by training and, and thrust in this world of technologists. And that is probably one of the biggest areas that if there was, a, you know, if I had a do-over, if I had a do-over, I'm not quite sure I'd call it a regret. I've been so fortunate and uh, great people looking out for me in my career. But if there's one, one do-over that I would, would have, it's, it's, that I wish I had focused more on technology uh, younger uh, in my life because I really do feel like I'm still playing catch up. I I mentioned that that we do a lot with MIT and I spend way too much time on campus when you could do such things, you know, when you left your house. Uh, I spend way too much time on campus and with the incredible leading scientists in the world and I come day most home most days and my head is spinning from that, that I, um, so that is, that is something that, that, uh, I, boy, I really wish I had more of that background, given the importance of it to everything that I'm doing every day is to helping teams build these amazing technologies at the frontier of, um, of new applications within our world. So that is a, that is, that, that's a struggle that, that I still have. I appreciate your uh, being open about that, Jeff, and and uh, especially for someone who's hosting the podcast. And I appreciate modeling that for our listeners. Um, you know, we're all works in progress, folks. And you know, it's great to celebrate the advances and and the growth areas, and to know that um, we all have ways that we can continue to spread our wings um, for ourselves and for the world around us. Uh, Jeff, you're so inspiring. I, I want to get on a tennis court with you when we can next do that. So that please, would be let's fun. Put, I would love let's, to. Let's put that on the calendar. And I'm grateful that you spent time today. Thank you for being part of the solution. And if I can ever be of help, um, please don't hesitate to reach out. Well, thank you, Molly. It's been a great pleasure to be on the show. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Uh, yes. And have a great uh, birthday to your mama. Thanks. Thank you so much, Molly. Take good care. Take care. Ciao, ciao. Okay. Let us welcome now from upstate New York, John. John, welcome to the show. Hi, Molly. It's good to talk to you. Appreciate your calling in. So, John, uh, do you have a sensitive situation or uh, conversation that I can help you with? Well, um, you know, uh, since you invited me to uh, call in, I've been in a bit of a quandary uh, to figure out what to talk about, uh, because as a person in my 80s, um, I'm not in business anymore. Uh, I do read about business in the paper. Uh, I'm still old enough to um, get... Uh, the information that I want from the newspaper. I, I don't like to sit at a computer for a long period of time to, to read extensive articles, articles. I prefer to be in an easy chair with my arms propped up. Uh, but any rate, at any rate, um, I will tell you that um, in the past, when I was a young man um, and thought I was clever, uh, I would say some things that I thought were witty uh, that turned out to be uh, hurtful. And uh, so as a result of that, uh, I have tried in, uh, in my advanced years 
um, and even since middle age, I would say, uh, to try to be careful uh, and not blurt. I have a tendency to blurt, and if I say anything uh, during this interview that sounds hurtful to somebody, I'm going to apologize in, in advance. Uh, and it's not my intent to hurt people. I'm, uh, um, I consider myself um, kind of a Mr. Milk Toast, actually. I, I don't confront people. I prefer to be on a, a friendly basis with, uh, with everyone. Uh, and so I guess the subject that I would raise is um, I, because I am so careful, uh, when I hear some things that uh, I think are hurtful from other people, I have a tendency not to challenge. Uh, I don't acquiesce, uh, but I do not challenge. So, uh, but by coincidence, this morning, um, I was in the company of some strangers. Uh, there was only three of us at the time. Uh, and one person was on the opposite end of the political spectrum from me, and uh, I felt the need to push back a little bit. I tried to be polite, uh, but not be uh, a pushover. So uh, the, the conversation didn't last very long because we were waiting uh, to be waited on for something. Uh, so I do feel that uh, today I stood my ground a little bit more, and uh, I'm happy about that. I feel that uh, in today's environment, uh, with everything that's going on in government, uh, it's just such a distressing time. Uh, I hate to watch the evening news uh, because it's almost all bad news, and um uh, I, I must tell you that I am a firm believer in global warming. That will give you an indication of where I stand politically. And um, so uh, if you have any insight for me on uh, how to assert myself without being uh, objectionable, I'll listen to that. But I would ask you to... Remember that I do have a hearing loss, and I would ask you to speak up and speak, enunciate well for me. Uh, I appreciate everything you brought up, John. And let me just uh, share that you were so skillful in how you talked about your tendency to blurt, being upfront with that, and that you're apologizing in advance to folks. So that's way ahead of the game for most people. And um, actually, my father is in his 80s, does not hear well. And I really appreciate your modeling for our listeners to ask for what you need. So, I, again, if I'm going too fast or you can't hear me, please pipe up. I really, really appreciate your, your bringing it up. The, well, you're doing uh, fine right now. Thank you, John. The topic you bring up is... Oh, something everyone, uh, most people, I think, are very mindful of. We want to be um, be able to push back, not a push over. Um, and, you know, most people don't want to ruffle feathers. At the same time, 
we all know if we don't raise the different points of view, it's hard to get understanding. So I appreciate that you want to raise your point of view. And for listeners, it's not necessarily a personal thing, like my view has to get out there, but that for serving the whole, we really need to hear the different points of view. And if you have a different point of view, whether it's right or wrong isn't the point. It's, it's important to get it out in the open, to call it raise transparency. So John, just giving you more of a driver to ensure that you don't just stay quiet because you want to help everyone to learn and to grow and different viewpoints really are, we just heard about innovation, differences is how we innovate. Uh, so I think that from a, um, from your own personal sense, and I think part of the ch- the opportunity is we're, we're our unique individuals. What I can say, perhaps you can't get away with and vice versa. So I encourage folks to find a voice that's comfortable for them. I would start with being able in our own self, you know, if you might be annoyed or can't believe someone believes something, totally legitimate. The idea of exhaling that energy and inhaling a sense of openness, of possibility, so that it doesn't sound like you're, you're right, they're wrong. And I think a lot of life um, uh, people, people uh, don't want to feel like we're making someone wrong and and that's, that's a real edge for people. So being neutral, being open and saying, acknowledging, I appreciate the point of view you shared. You're not saying it's right, but you're creating a relationship with that person that I'm hearing you. Now, I have a different viewpoint. Would it be okay if I share it? Would Are Absolutely. you open to hearing yeah. it? You, so you, I, I, have, yes. uh, I like to think that I am opening to or open, rather, to uh, listening to other points of view. Um, I don't pretend that I have all of the answers, but I'll listen to what you have to say. That's right. So you ask that of the other person. Are you open? And, you know, they can say no. And you know what? They said no. So that means they are not open to your point of view. And say, well, that's the way they want to be. That's absolutely their prerogative, John. And there's no reason to push it. Most people, it's pretty hard to say, no, I'm not open. Most people will say, yes, I'm open. Great. And share the point of view um, that you have and not to convince them or influence and say, this is, and this is why I think it. And I would love for us to talk about our differences so we get to better understanding. So it's a back and forth conversation. It's not about you have to share your point of view and you're trying to convince them or they're necessarily trying to convince you. And I think oftentimes we get into conversations to win. I want to win the conversation. If we just go into it to exchange information and try to understand, to do our best to understand, that's a starting point. Maybe someone changes their mind. Maybe you change your mind because you have a diff- you get new information. Um, and then, you know, thanking someone, say, you know, I, I know we didn't come to the s- same understanding, I, but I thank you for listening. So that might be a way to, to open those who you perceive may not be open, right? Create some openness on their part because you're modeling that. Mm-hmm. How's that, Landry? Okay. Uh, that sounds like um, a, a, an interesting way to go about it. I, um, I have uh, people that I play golf with, enjoy them very much, like them, 
but uh, I don't talk politics with them uh, because it quickly deteriorates and um, uh, spoils the the enjoyment of the game. Um, and uh, I have uh, removed myself from situations where, uh, well, I'll tell you what it was. Uh, I'm a former Kodaker. I was, uh, and I only caught the end of the um, the last person that spoke to you. And I'm sorry that I I missed that. Uh, we're we're having company soon, so uh, we're in the process of uh, taking getting things ready. But at any rate, um, I attended a a gathering of former Kodak employees, people that I uh, worked with, and uh, we had this uh, breakfast uh, once a month for many years. Um, and in the beginning, we only talked about Kodak. Uh, but then um, after a while, uh, as we became older, we started to talk about other things. And um, I found that some of the people that uh, were attending the breakfast were um, quite uh, pushy uh, with regard to their political position. And so um, and my wife also attended this. The men sat separate from the women, but she found that the situation was the same at her table as it was at mine. Um, I wasn't an individual on my, my uh, positioning, uh, but I just felt uncomfortable in that situation uh, that the other side would not listen to my point of view. And so I decided that this was a situation I didn't want to be involved in anymore. And uh, so as a result, those contacts have failed, and I have no desire to reestablish them. So uh, that may sound a little closed, uh, but I did try to um, make my point. Uh, I did listen to what they had to say, uh, but I could not come around to their way of reasoning, uh, so I just decided it was too uncomfortable uh, uh, with their uh, adamacy uh, to remain in that situation. So um, how do you feel about that? I, I, um, I respect that you have your choice, and it's absolutely your decision to make. And so I think that we all have that choice. My only uh, offer would be as we exit a relationship so that people know why. It's just to say I have enjoyed our time together. I have found that I think that I'm being open. I don't, I'm not getting the sense that um, some of the folks are open to other points of view, and that makes me very uncomfortable you know, I think you're good human beings, but I, I don't think this is the kind of environment that's uh, something that I want to continue with. If you feel like you might be open in the future, please let me know. And I, and I just say from a closure standpoint, not to, you know, put it off in someone's um, face, but just to, so people know. So, you know, I just feel like I was not very comfortable. I didn't feel that we were open the way I'd like. And that's absolutely your folks uh, choice too, but uh, you know, in the future, uh, we're going to pass. And mm-hmm. you know, it's. I think you can. You can agree to have differences, John. It's okay, and hopefully, um, you know, people people learn from that. 
Well, I'll take that out of advisement, and um, I don't think that I would care to uh, call people on the telephone and uh, say that this is the reason that I stopped going. But if I do happen to have contact with them, then I will say that. Yeah, yeah. it's whatever you're comfortable with. I know you're trying to help me here, but I'm feeling a little uh, not maybe quite as open as I thought I was. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is a great takeaway to know that. And I appreciate you calling in and that you're getting ready for company. So, John, have a nice uh, rest of your afternoon. And if I can be of help, please reach out. Okay, Molly. Well, I look I look forward to the next time I see you on the tennis court. Sounds great, John. Take good care. Okay, now we're going to go west, and I'm going to welcome Seth from Scottsdale. Seth, welcome to Say It Skillfully. Hey, Molly. How are you? Fabulous. Fabulous. What Say It Skillfully challenge might I help you with? All right. Well, I think I, uh, I, think I have a good one for you here today. So I've got um, two people on my team, and I manage a team of about uh, 30 people. But I've got two people on my team who don't get along. And um, now usually when I've managed teams and there are issues between members of the team, they're pretty obvious, or you, you, see, them, you see them in behaviors, and you, can, and you can do something, right? I mean, you... You can see people behaving in a way that they shouldn't with one another, and then you can do the shuttle diplomacy thing. You can talk to them together. You can usually get them to, you know, what I think you would call a, a shared reality, right? I mean, you, you, can, you, can, you can do those things as a, as a manager, as a leader. But in this case, it, it, it's very different, and it's very different because you know, these two people, at least when I'm with them as their manager, you know, they behave, from my perspective, very well together. So you might ask, you would say, okay, so where's the problem? Well, the problem is that I only know that they don't get along and there's all these issues because each, of the, each one of them, each of the two of them, comes to me to complain about the other and and actually describes, in many instances, some pretty bad behavior. Just kind of talking over each other when when I'm not in the room, talking over each other, not really respecting boundaries and roles and all of that kind of thing. These people are peers, and, and they don't behave as peers. Each one thinks that they're kind of in charge. And so the challenge I have is that when I have these conversations with each of them about the other, they don't want me to, to do anything about it, right? They, they, want the, they don't want to be seen like they're complaining about someone. They tell me the conversation is confidential. And I've tried, and I've said, well, you know, if it's confidential, I can't do anything to help you. And they say, well, I just need you to know so that you, you manage this person better. But it seems to me without breaking breaking this down and getting some kind of communication going, I can't really solve the problem. So how, how, would, you, how would you handle something like that? What am, I, what, am I, what am I missing? Oh, that is a doozy, Seth. Thank you for raising that. Uh, okay. Let's think about this. I think as a leader, you have uh, a responsibility to the whole um, 
and I, you know, Alan Mulally is, as listeners know, is a huge mentor idol of mine. And he's like, look, at, it's about the behaviors. And so part of the behaviors are that we are open and that we um, are transparent with our colleagues and we do our best to work well together, you know, whatever you set up for your team. And so if you think about it from your standpoint, if you're enabling this, right, which I know you're not intentionally trying to, but if you're letting it go, you're you're letting a situation that's really not acceptable from a behavior standpoint. We don't talk badly about other employees behind their back type of environment, right? So, so that's a driver for change for you, which is to say you actually have the authority and I would say responsibility to actually bubble it up for them. And you could say, well, they don't want to say, well, but this is part of a dynamic on a team that I'm responsible for that is not how we succeed well together. So I just want to give you that to stand on because so, so, you so, are the boss. So, so, so do you think in that context, I should not be willing to have these kind of confidential side conversations because they're corrosive to my team? Do you I think believe I so. Say, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, shut them yeah. down before they go too far kind of thing? Uh, well, you can hear them out. I think part of it is is I think these one-on-ones are, this is the deal, right? Our team is about open, honest, forthright communication, you know, with compassion. And so I'm here to help you have the conversation with um, any of our colleagues to do that. So I'm here. So I'm. you can download on me and I'll give you advice to handle it. And then you'll handle it. I am not here for you to, you know, kind of undermine this other employee for both sides. So I'm realizing I've kind of enabled some of this. Sorry, my bad. Seth, a little bit bad. I was trying to be a good guy, but I realized that wasn't serving the team. So here's the choice. This is what I, I and say, I, I could envision two people working a lot really great. I'd like to see that happen. I think that you can make it happen. Do you agree that would be a great thing to happen? Whatever that, and, and okay, so what what is the vision? Okay, so now, we can the three of us get together. I'm happy to have transparency of this. Uh, I can let you folks handle it. You pick. It's a big boy behavior. I'm not allowing like preteen behavior on the team. Sorry, end of story. And then, so yeah. again, let's see how they respond. Hey, so what's going on for you? Questions. How is that landing? You don't seem happy. What's going on? And see what they say and say, put yourself in my shoes. Do you want to be listening to people come to you? whine about their other teammate? Do you think, how do you think it looks for you when I see you working so well together when I'm around and then I hear this? How do you think, what do you think I'm thinking? So this is these just questions to help someone gain empathetic understanding of what it might be like for someone else other than themselves. Because when we're in these conversations, like, whoa, is me, this colleague is so annoying. I've got to tell Seth how annoying this person is so that Seth knows, right? And we get that. <laughs> so your job is to help them say, I understand. I, I acknowledge, gosh, it sounds very frustrating. I'm not denying that. Do you want to be frustrated and annoyed? Well, no, not really. Okay. Would you like to talk about how perhaps we could not be frustrated and annoyed? Oh, okay, great. Yeah, in your experience, do, do those kind of three-way conversations, do, do they bear fruit? Is that, is that a useful technique? 
I think transparency absolutely is. And I think it is about the intention. And so I set it up in a front. Hey, I'd love for us to get together because there's something going on here. You know, there are two, you're two great people. You're doing, you know, solid work. And it could be better if you get along. And so I'd learned, I, I'm here to help you folks soar. So if I can get this out, I'd like to help you because absolutely sometimes it takes a little traffic cop to just say, hey, let me hear what you have to say, you know, Sue. Okay, John, tell me what you have to hear and, you know, to, to run a little interference without picking sides. And I think your intention is, we have this great team. One, we want to do great work. Best way to do great work is to be open and honest and respect each other. And I'm here to help us find the way. And I have every confidence you can do it. If it were to go off a cliff, Seth, and someone's like, you know, I can't do it, I, then it's like, you know, this is okay. You're still a good person. This is not a good team for you. Ellen would tell you this is your choice. You know, you're just picking. If you don't want to model these behaviors, that's okay. You're still, you know, someone we love. It's just you're making a choice to move on. Yeah, I mean, they're both great people, and that's what makes it, uh, that's what makes it so challenging because, you know, you can be in scenarios where, it's clear one person shouldn't be on the team. But in this case, they both should be. And they're both capable of making incredible contributions. And it could be yeah. better. Yeah, yeah. So let me know how it goes. Do you have one top takeaway from our little chat, aha, on your part? Yeah, no, I think, I think that, you know, the notion that even though I think I'm being a good person by listening I may be, in fact, contributing to and exacerbating the problem. I mean, that's obviously something you don't want to do, and it's something that, you know, you can find yourself doing without realizing it. So I think I have, you know, a greater sort of consciousness of the role that I'm playing in perpetuating the situation. So rather than being a bystander, which is kind of how I saw it coming in, I think I, I, I think I see myself as a participant, which which means I do have to do something about it. And I do, have to, I do have to get to a better place with this. I love it. I love it. I'm thanking you for being part of the solution, Seth. So let me know how it goes. You know how to reach me and, uh, and you take good care. All right. Thanks, Molly. Well, we started the show with innovation, which at the core is about doing things differently. We don't innovate doing things the same way. We don't improve relationships stuck with the same attitudes about ourselves or others. So my thought for the week is a big opportunity for all. Embrace difference. Be open. Be curious. Celebrate it. And I thank you for tuning in. That's a wrap. Please be part of the solution and kindly share this show. Reflect on your own top takeaways. And know I'm cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality. Essential to make the best decisions, execute with speed, and achieve outstanding outcomes at work and in life. Homelessness is a problem that's more costly to ignore than solve. The U.S. spends $12 billion a year responding, but resources alone aren't enough. I'd like you to know there are cities and counties proving what does work. Partnering with Community Solutions, a nonprofit I'm on the board of, more than 80 communities around the country are succeeding in ending homelessness, beginning with chronic and veteran homelessness. They convene local leaders around data, and are changing how they work and spend their resources. So homelessness becomes rare. More than half have already reduced the number of people experiencing chronic and veteran homelessness with commitment to get to zero. What can you do? Visit www.built40.org and see whether your community is engaged. 
Contact your mayor and ask, do you know the number of people experiencing homelessness in real time? Do you know every homeless person by name? What are you doing to drive measurable reductions in homelessness? Please challenge the fiction that says homelessness is an intractable problem. Thanks for listening to Say It Skillfully with host Molly Chang. Join us again for more ways to say it skillfully next Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Molly on LinkedIn and Twitter. Check out SayItSkillfully.com and sign up so you don't miss her latest 90-second video. And please, be part of the solution. Kindly tell others about this program so they say it skillfully too. 